to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. All right, I have an admittedly insane idea, but if I don't ask you, this is just, uh, you know, it's going to haunt me the rest of my life. What? Um, I want to keep talking to you, you know? I have no idea what your situation is, but, uh, but I feel like we have some kind of, uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too. In this episode, we're wandering through the streets of Vienna with Richard Linklater's 1995 film Before Sunrise, starring Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke. Written by the director with Kim Kreisan, who'd previously appeared in the Linklater films Slacker and Dazed and Confused, this movie is the first in the much-lauded Before trilogy. Tonight we'll be playing pinball with Celine and Jesse, missing a play about a confused cow in the process. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave us a little review or rating on your podcast app. As Celine says, isn't everything we do in life a way to be loved a little more? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think she's probably right, isn't she? Yeah, she knew all about five-star reviews back then. so this is the first time you've seen before sunrise isn't it rich it is um and before you know we'll we'll kind of make this clear from the outset i haven't seen any of them and this is the first time i've seen the first one so this is kind of i guess a a strange journey for for me knowing that you've seen this film and, and it's one of you said before it's one of your favorites and i'm going to completely embarrass myself probably over the course of the next three episodes no i think it's really good that this is the first time you've seen this film because i think a big part of the experience of watching it is that fresh perspective because the two of them have that too don't they it's kind of like you're looking at it through hopeful youthful eyes whereas i'm watching it now as someone at the end of their life (laughs) called all all Um. jaded (laughs) like uh celine's grandmother but um i i find coming back and watching this now for the first time it's hard to to kind of get over the fact that there is both a nostalgia for this time period of the mid 90s and we've talked about it when we've done other episodes about films from that era but also nostalgia in a film I haven't seen before but I was young once apparently and Mm. there is that sort of human element of kind of trying to project either yourself onto the characters or, or the other way around and seeing what it would have been like if that had happened to you um, and the way that Jesse kind of takes this opportunity on the train of asking Celine to join him in Vienna was kind of like, if if you never did it, you'd always wonder what would happen if you had said yes. It's kind of one of those big questions, I guess, in, in life, really. If, what if you'd said yes or no when you'd said the other thing the, the first time round? It's kind of a almost like a either a butterfly effect kind of thing it's um and and seeing the journey that they have i say for film one of three the journey they have started together it's certainly a a bold one but i think it's quite easy to to put yourself in that position now don't you think yeah i think that it's a interesting one in terms of technology isn't it because it's like one of the last moments in time that you could have made a movie like this about young people where mobile phones weren't a factor and um yeah if you'd if you'd made it just a few years later then the most realistic option might be the two of them uh, when they're having that lunch together on the train uh you know adding each other on facebook and that being the way they resolve that meeting and him getting off um, the train and them not spending this time together. The effort involved now in trying to start a, a friendship or a relationship or anything without technology would be huge because it just surrounds us everywhere. And, and all they want to do is be together at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that that's... Uh, there's a there's quite a telling exchange of dialogue at the end where she says, and we're not going to call or write to each other. And he says, no, it's depressing. And that's why they decide to to meet in six months time rather than keep in touch. And and um, and that's so interesting because on the one hand, him saying, no, it's depressing tells you so much about 
Jesse as a character and about his um, cynicism when it comes to relationships. But on the other hand, do you think he sort of has a point, though, <laughs> in the sense that she's sort of suggesting that they, you know, stay in touch in a way that's kind of more like what we've all come to know now as, you know, how, how easy it is to over over the internet and stuff and and he's and he's saying no it's depressing to do it like that let's let's try and recapture an experience that's more like the one that we had today and while that's wild and reckless to not keep in touch and i'm sure we'll get on to that later there is he do, there is a certain amount of wisdom in his naivety in the sense that it is absolutely undeniable that the experience that they've had, which is staying up all night wandering through a city together, is infinitely more profound than the one they would have had if they had just added each other on Facebook. Do you have any idea what they were arguing about? Do, do you speak English? Yeah. No. I'm sorry, my German is not very good. Have you ever heard that as couples get older, they lose their ability to hear each other? No. Well, supposedly, men lose their ability to hear higher pitch sounds, and women eventually lose hearing on the low end. I guess they sort of nullify each other or something. I guess. Nature's way of allowing couples to grow old together without killing each other. I love the way that that's the moment that the two of them meet. That's the meet-cute, is actually them talking about a, a rowing couple. And um, yeah, obviously, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything about. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a point where I remember. Yeah, I just, I'm just gonna zip it. But but then yeah, they go into, <laughs> they, and then they go into the lounge car. And I was gonna ask you, what is it about lounge cars that are so fantastic in a film like that? Because we um. Because uh, I think in another episode we talked about how it's so uh, central in North by Northwest, which is the Hitchcock film. But then it's so central, isn't it, as well in Casino Royale? We did an episode on that. Um, there's something wonderful about um, about these kind of train journeys, isn't there, where people kind of sit opposite each other and and get to know each other. It does feel like a kind of old Hollywood thing, doesn't yeah, it? Train it train does. travel is this exotic, like an occasion where. You kind of watch now old films and you expect men to wear a jacket and tie to get on a train. Whereas now it's like, what can I wear that's the most comfortable shorts and flip-flops? But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, haven't times changed? And, um, and there is that where you're on a train, you're in a confined space, but I guess it does give you a change of scenery. Um, and things often... And I guess, I mean, we've talked about this on other things, but how conversation changes when f people start eating and drinking and uh, that they, they're uh, more relaxed where they've had some blood sugar or whatever, alcohol, yeah. and they're sitting each other and and eating is quite an intimate thing. Yes. And I, don't, I didn't really work out what they were eating or what they had eaten. Um, I mean, they weren't eating like a... I know, a meal deal that you get on a virgin train of like a, an old sandwich and a bag of crisps. <laughs> but it looked like, you know, actual crockery, like a, a wimpy. Yes. Or something. But it's, uh, yeah. Do you think it's also in, in this instance meant to be a bit of a metaphor for life? Just, it's just rushing by before your eyes and before you know it, the journey's gone. God, now I feel old. I felt old <laughs> enough watching this anyway. These two youngsters. <laughs> And then he comes up with the idea for Big Brother, doesn't he, while they're having this chat? <laughs> I know. And I wonder if that's where they got the idea from. I mean, that was a European thing, wasn't it? Um, oh, I think it was, yeah, I think Big Brother was yeah, Dutch right. or something. Yes. And uh, I wonder if that was where they kind of drilled it from, you know, the idea of watching people. His idea of a great TV show is watching people. So, again, I mean, again, for this film anyway, there's a lot of their conversation the way they they talk it involves how they view and observe and interact with with other people yes, like the, yes. the i would say the street furniture of vienna but the people who live there and you know every, everyone from the palm reader to the poet to the people who on the bridge who, who try and get them to go and see their play you need to resign yourself to the awkwardness of life only if you find peace within yourself you find true connection with others. 
I think it's really it's a really good line. You think that that kind of could apply to so many of us. Definitely apply to me. And um, and you think that that's you know her her she sort of rather than kind of telling her exactly what's going to ha- happen to her in her future, she's kind of um, sharing a bit of wisdom. And I think that you know Celine has a bit of a moment kind of thinking about what she's saying to her, you know, and she says you're all stardust, you know, and, and um, so he in that moment he feels a little bit like he's kind of cutting across her enjoyment, and maybe that's kind of what she objects to. Yeah, and, and I mean, there, there is something in there where um, th- there is a couple of comments about the fact, and, and this, from what I looked into the film after I watched it, and again, careful to avoid spoilers, mm. but um, you're looking at how it was structured and how they were cast, and they were deliberately looking at um, a contrast where one of the actors and I think at this point it was quite fluid around whether it was the female or the male uh, one was American and one was European right yeah and and I think they played on it a couple of times where it was it at the beginning where he said do you speak about the the English that she speaks and she says well of course you don't speak another language yes yes and, and it is that kind of running joke almost of the the English speaker doesn't speak another language. They just point and shout and throw stuff. Um, yes. And because her English is probably better than his, yeah, it's it's easy to kind of almost to put yourself in that position. And 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 the fact that he is this kind of cynical around certain things anyway. Yeah. But then in other ways, he very much comes across as this hopeless romantic who reads what are probably very clever novels and has these has these great ideas and, and romance and stuff. It's uh, many layers. The thing is about Jesse is I feel as if he's quite a realistic male character, which for a film that presents itself, I mean, when you look at the front of that DVD, it feels as if it's going to be a very sweeping romantic film and he'll be playing a very specific type but one of the things that I think is so great about the movie is the way he um, feels rooted in reality and he has all the things about him that a character um, might have that might frustrate you and charm you and one of his really charming and witty moments comes like quite early on where he's trying to persuade her to get off the train And he says to her, you know, if you think about it, I'm doing you a gigantic favour. I'm doing this gigantic favour to you and your future husband where, you know, (laughs) one day you'll wake up and you'll feel so sort of frustrated by him. And, you know, your marriage won't have much energy anymore. And you'll be thinking, what about all of these other guys I could have taken up with, you know, that I didn't. And, you know, the thing is, if you try me out now, you'll see that I'm just as unmotivated and totally boring as your husband is. So, you know that you will have made the right choice with him so you won't have any regrets. And I always think, like, that's that's such a brilliant, such a brilliant persuasive way of getting someone <laughs> to do something. <laughs> Taking and, notes um, here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, it shows him as well. So even though he's got this real kind of youthful energy about him, he's already got this um, quite astute insight into what might happen to us all when we get a little bit older and we think about the options that we didn't take and you know might get frustrated with the people that we're we decide to be in long-term relationships with or or whatever and um yeah I was saying that's a that's a it's very it's very kind of charming in its own way what do you think <laughs> well I guess because when he introduces himself what well, say introduces but when the concept of him being a time traveller as a flirting technique. Yeah. Pick up, you know. And and one of the great things about time travel films is that it often usually involves a relationship of some sort, whether it's Back to the Future or Younger People, one of the Avengers films, you know, that kind of stuff, where things were changed or you kind of look at how a relationship would be different if circumstances have been altered in one way or another. Yes. And and I you know the the lazy comparison back to the future where Marty went back in time and took George's place being hit by the car and his mum fancying him and all that we'll go down that road another time but it's <laughs> you know that there is that concept where 
he then ha- it then altered everything because this time traveller had come and changed the world just yes. by their, their presence. And he is now a time traveller on a train in Vienna asking a girl to leave the train with him and spend, spend 24 hours or so in, in Vienna, which I guess these days, again, you know, struggle. People might judge her for going with him. I mean, that would have to be a very convincing argument. There's a lot of stuff around. Are you sure? Can you trust this guy, this American man just riding the trains of Europe because he can't afford a flight home? No, I know. Well, that was something I was going to bring up about it, actually, uh, in terms of how well it holds up, is that I think that given that, as you say, the sort of premise is based on something where, if you're looking at it from her perspective, you wouldn't necessarily feel 100% in safe hands a lot of the physical stuff that happens between them is kind of instigated by her and he doesn't push for any of it and it all feels very healthy in that respect you know like when they're on the grass she's the one that asks him to kiss her when he's um when they're up in the ferris wheel you know he he sort of in a very kind of hesitant way sort of you know indicates that he might quite like to kiss her and she sort of says do you want to kiss me and and she's the one that kisses him and she instigates it and stuff so i think that one of the things that they that they do really successfully is that they you know as a, as a film it feels as if the writers kind of know that that she is in a in a in a potentially sort of vulnerable position so it's important for the audience to kind of know that she's she's very much saying that she wants these things, that it's not something that she's being pressured into as a result of kind of, you know, just being in a in a strange city with a strange man. Hmm. Which is great. Yeah. yeah. Throw caution to the wind. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, she obviously feels safe with him, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, if, if everything was done safely and that... We wouldn't have films or we wouldn't have stories. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, and and when are we ever really safe when we are intimate with someone, Rich? I mean, you know, ooh. our heart is always on the line. Blimey, that's profound. <laughs> God. I mean, you know, if, if you're bearing your heart to someone in the middle of a Vienna park in the middle of the night. Yeah. Left with the, did they, didn't they afterwards? Of course they did. And again, you know, vulnerable and how how she, I say she, how, how they interact when they're at the most intimate. And she says, I don't want to sleep with you. And then she changes her mind. And again, she probably says more about me. I'm kind of thinking, you know, they haven't washed for, <laughs> you know, they've been on a train for so long and then wandered around the city aimlessly for a number of hours. It was the era of grunge. The point was you didn't wash. That was the look. She actually even says to him, doesn't she, when she's talking on the phone to her friends, I mean, you know, playing it out, Mm. she says that um, he has greasy hair. She says, he's he's got greasy hair. I love it. Yeah, that's that's the mid-90s. It was the 90s. It was a great time to be a guy. You, You could just... You could just roll out of bed and that would be the look. Yeah. Lynx Africa. <laughs> uh, when they get on the bus at the, uh, towards the beginning of the movie, mm. that that frame of the two of them sat side by side is a little bit um, similar to to the um, to the ending of the Graduate, isn't it? But that we've talked about in another episode, just in the way it's you know visually. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, and again, I mean, if it was intentionally that this was very much them getting to know each other as opposed to the graduate when it was kind of like oh god what have we done yeah exactly so it's like the it's kind of like the follow-up and it's and it feels kind of relevant in terms of some of the stuff that they've already talked about like she talks about how her parents were constantly kind of um trying to convert all of her kind of romantic ideas of what she might want to do in her life into money-making ventures (laughs) so yeah they they've already kind of dwelt a little bit and they do throughout the film about how their parents generation you know was sort of breaking out from all the conservative norms of um their parents uh way of living so there's something about how um 
yeah, they're they're trying to kind of reconcile themselves to this new world where they're meant to be these, um, you know, the the product of a generation that kind of broke free, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to be rebelling from themselves, aren't they? They kind of want something to push against. Yeah, because when you think about in a, in a genre generation type thing, you know, I guess their parents would have been graduate era, and yeah, now I. I, I no spoilers. If they had kids, they would then be that age now. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so this all all goes in cycles, doesn't it? It does but, go um, in cycles. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I found it quite strange when... Because you had kind of two periods of this questioning. So you had the period on, on the train, or sorry, the, on the bus. Yeah. As they're going into Vienna, when they're asking each other questions. And then they do it again later when they're playing pinball. Yeah. And that's when the co- topic of previous partners comes up. Yes. Which is often a, a sticky topic for new flames, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's when it becomes apparent that, and this is where, like, on a technicality, did he lie? <laughs> but he had only just recently broken up with, with a, a girlfriend. Yeah. And that's why he was traveling. And that's why he was in Europe in the first place. Yeah. And um, and she talks about being in a relationship that sounded quite chaotic by conservative standards. Sort yes. Of small, small C. And that needed to see a shrink, albeit just for once. And that almost had an element of farce and comedy to it. But, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's they did learn a lot about each other over two, in- I'll call them interrogations, and they, they shared information about each other and their kind of backgrounds and stuff. And it's um, yeah, it's weird to, to put yourself in that position where you, you're with someone for, what, 20 hours or so. You're really kind of bearing your soul to them, mm. if, if that's what you do. I mean, you could quite easily just make up any old shit just to get her into bed. But it's... You know, they're actually, they've got, because they've got that connection, despite their difference in personalities, they, he's open enough and she's open enough about her vulnerabilities and how she took her breakup quite badly. Yeah. And and is willing to talk about that because that's where they are. And, you know, this isn't a casual throw about thing. This is something like a bit deeper and they're actually shock horror telling the truth no well i love the way the 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 film progresses in that way because i think it it shows you it almost shows you a series of day you know in in them if they weren't in this situation it might be people getting to know each other over a series of dates and the the first q and a in the bus what they're asking each other and and what they're saying is um much more sort of skirting around the kind of darker sort of more gritty elements of what they've experienced in life you know like her her story about um having the crush on the on the swimmer who had a crush on her and stuff you know it's it's a it's a lovely it's a lovely story that presents her in quite good light you know and it's all kind of quite cute and and adorable and then i like the way how by the time of night where they're playing pinball They've got more comfortable with each other. They've had a little bit of kind of friction by then. And then it kind of all comes out, doesn't it? Everyone sort of stops just sort of telling these sort of like cutesy little little jokes about themselves. And that's when you actually get the kind of real info on what the two of them have just experienced in terms of their relationships. And um, both of them, you know, show, show a lot more kind of... Um, you know neuroses and um insecurity than they have done before but i really i really like that i like the way the two of them evolve in that way because you know they're two very beautiful young people and i think at the beginning when you see them on the train you project your own kind of ideals onto them don't you You kind of just think oh look at these sort of two two angelic looking young things and um then by the time you get to that point in the movie where they're playing pinball you think oh actually the two of them both have a bit of kind of repressed anger about people that have hurt them and stuff you know as as we all do and that's that's a great thing to see in the film that I think that you don't anticipate do you when you see the way the film's marketed you don't sort of see those elements in them up front 
while you can easily think of a romantic movie in the 90s and it's some old we've talked about a variety already across the podcast some quite schmaltzy some quite intelligent some do things a little bit differently um and and when this one drills down it does go into that and i did find while i i, I saw what was coming with the scene where they kind of made the fake phone calls yes to their friends and you kind of see like okay i see what they're doing here um and it kind of reminded me of the old fake text yeah i don't know if you ever saw that episode of Kirby enthusiasm where they talk about fake texts and you sort of you send it about someone but you send it to them <laughs> yeah. so that <laughs> we've all done it we've all done it i sent her flowers boom shredded on my doorstep I mean, I don't know what to do. Oh! 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 You ready to hear it? Accidental text Accidental on text. purpose. Oh, my God. Tell him. Okay, here's what you do. You send me a text, but you accidentally send it to her on purpose. And in the text, you say something like, Hey, Larry, you were an asshole the other night. There's nothing wrong with our water. It's perfectly okay. Say anything you want. Curse me, anything. I don't care. And it was kind of like... You're kind of trying to give him a, oh, yeah, he's great. You know, like you said, oh, he's got greasy hair, but I like it. Yes. There is that slight layer of protection in that you're able to say nice things about someone and hopefully it removes a little bit of the, the embarrassment or the blushing yes. side of it anyway by doing it to a, you know, a fake friend. It's like, I really like them. I like their eyes or their whatever. But... Oh, no, I'm just talking to a friend. I'm not talking to you. You weren't meant to hear that. Yes, it's, um, yes, it's a good, it, it's good it's, device, isn't it, in that way? Yeah, and it's kind of like part of that is quite teenagery. Yes, In definitely. a way, but yeah. the way it works here, I think they're just about young enough to get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, I mean, it's a good the, ego boost. I mean, well, she says, she says to her friend, he kisses like an adolescent. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, oh, God, that's, that's quite some... I think you can tell that he's really crazy about her because she says that and he doesn't he doesn't get sulky and you think um yeah because most guys i think if you if you said that then then there'd be a there'd be a significant negative reaction understandably you what <laughs> what do you mean <clears throat> i love the listening booth scene mm. and i think that that's um when we talk about chemistry between couples i think that kind of um that that scene at the on the bus that we've already spoken about and then in the listening booth there's something about these two where um you get you obviously get a kind of um you get sexual chemistry between the two of them but but also from quite early on in a way that's really quite impressive there's a there's a kind of there's an emotional connection that comes across um you know, even when you're just left with them in that little listening booth and you don't have any words, there's something about the two of them. And it reminds me of, um, I don't know whether you've ever seen It's Wonderful Life. Mm. There's a scene in that that I really like early on between um, George and Mary where they're kind of, uh, they're, they're sharing a telephone and they're kind of, looking at each other and then looking away while they're sharing it and it's it's quite similar to that i think and um yeah just that that kind of mix of it being being two people sort of like that don't really know how the other feels about them but it also being kind of quite funny what do you think about that scene well i i thought it was really sweet because god i don't think so many things are sweet um (laughs) but i think that's the thing about music as well um which we've talked about on on other things where because you're you're there having a shared experience and yeah. you don't want to spoil it by talking and you're kind of forced to be quiet and you're in a listening booth which should be a fairly confined space yeah so you're in this space with someone who you obviously find attractive or, or enjoy their company enough already and then you're listening to a song together and you don't want to spoil it by going oh I like this song but you've you've kind of <laughs> yeah. you can't maintain eye contact for too long because that's just weird. Yeah. So so it's these kind of looks where he looks away, so she looks at him, and and vice versa, and trying to to negotiate that you're in a in this small space for I don't know three minutes, for example, yeah. and you, you, it's really difficult to maintain that. 
without, I say breaking character as such, but without being either overly confident or I'm just going to look at my feet here. But they're actually looking at each other and when they're not looking at each other, they still look like I'm in a happy place. Yes, yes. Um, and I think, you know, as I, onto a different conversation about how now vinyl is kind of on its, you know, having a big comeback and, and you know, there is the scene of he's putting the needle on the record, and that, which you don't get when you just press play on Spotify. No, it's um, true. It's true, isn't it? You know, um, Apparently, guess, they weren't played the record until, until oh, they shot the scene, which is interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so they really were having a shared experience. Yeah. Um, and then when you sort of fast forward a little bit to the scene in the Ferris wheel. Yes. Where he clearly wants to kiss her and then she says you want to tell me you want to kiss me and it was this kind of semi-awkward way into it but then you kind of just do it kiss her Um, (laughs) and um and and again you know obligatory bond reference where in the living daylights bond kisses his european lady in at the top of the Ferris wheel in Vienna. Oh, really? And, yeah, oh, he's he's a lot more confident go. doing it as old Timothy Dalton. I'm sure he is. And then when I get to the bottom and the fella says, would you like another ride? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and, and the, the way that kind of plays out is um, it, it does seem very natural and you can see why they went to such lengths to make sure the casting was right and that all the... Um, the stage was set properly and everything was how it should be because it really shows on the screen. Yeah, it does. And I think that the the emotional connection between them is really, um, really affecting and the way the kiss scene happens where they kiss and then they, they hug each other, you know, which is quite kind of unusual in the way a, a first kiss scene is, is um, usually done. They do feel like people that feel at home in each other's sort of physical presence, don't they? And the way that that's done is, yeah, really impressive. It's a nice moment because I think as well it kind of recognises that they do have all this time together. Yes. You know, in in some films or circumstances where you kind of think, right, we've only got an hour. Right, I'll kiss her and then I'll try and move on, you know. Yes. And... Whereas here it's kind of right, we're kissing and then we can hug because we've still got however many hours and the whole whole rest of the night. Let's not, let's not go too soon. And, and I think there is that kind of acceptance and this was nice. Let's, we'll be doing it again at some point in this evening. You know, it's, uh, let's just enjoy this moment. So um, that was something a little bit kind of grown up around it, despite the fact it seemed it was that very fine balance between teenage and, and, and experience. Yes, yes. Well, in, in, in Annie Hall, there's a scene where he says to her that they're kind of at the beginning of a date and he says, should we kiss now? Because we'll digest our food better if we kiss now rather than wait until the end of the night. <laughs> and um, yeah, this is a bit similar to that in, in some ways in the sense that you think, oh, it, it is kind of, you know, for a romantic movie, for it not to be sort of building up to the moment of you waiting for them to kiss or not is quite good you know it happens quite early on and then after that they have quite a lot of kind of conversate conversations you know it's not sort of about this physical crescendo in that way it's much more meandering so um yeah that's quite because you know they'll have a very romantic moment like that but then she teases him about it isn't she because he talks about how um when they're i think when they're walking through the the fun fair he's she's talking about how her grandmother was always in love with someone else rather than the person that she was with and and um and he says oh that's you know it's probably quite good that she never got together with this other guy because you know everyone just has all these romantic projections they put on everything that aren't based on reality which is quite often what you and i talk about don't we when we talk about how some people like in films like love actually or whatever just fall in love with people they don't know at all and we kind of realize that a lot of rom-coms are based on just people having projections mm. um but then yeah she kind of teases him for saying that because um she says you're just you know trying to have this big romantic moment with me up there now you're just talking about how <laughs> everyone just has romantic projections 
<laughs> and um which is really which uh, again is quite convincing i think because i think that quite often um yeah relationships between people are this sort of strange mixture of the two of you being in the in the best in the best ones anyway you're being kind of quite honest with each other and you are musing about life and your cynical side will come out alongside romantic elements of your personality so you can contradict yourself quite a lot can't you just in the space of like a half hour in fact i'm sure we do it quite a lot when we're having a conversation to record for a podcast well i'm pretty much i've just done it now i mean i, I think in in this podcast i've probably mentioned get his end away and also romantic kiss tender moment in the listening booth and it was all very sweet <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well well exactly so um yeah. i mean sorry that's... for using that term by the way that's really his end away no that's film. fine that's fine i don't mind at all um, another thing that's quite that's quite interesting about it is how it's it's so much about a point in youth, but at the same time, there's there, there's so much preoccupation in the whole movie with um, how life is fleeting and um, your kind of mortality. And you know, they have them in the in the graveyard. And one thing I noticed during this watch that I didn't um, notice before is when they go into the graveyard and they see a little rabbit, and the rabbit kind of like dashes away, and then. Um, then towards the end of the film, when um, Jesse is quoting the W.H. Jordan poem that he's heard Dylan Thomas reading, he um, there's a line from it that he quotes, and he says, "The years shall run like rabbits," and um, the whole thing about you know you cannot conquer time, and like time just like sort of you know just going by in an absolute flash, and you sort of realise like it's quite it's quite an amazing film in that way, in the sense that it's about. Um, you know they they're young they know they're young they know they're they're at a moment in time but it's it's kind of like um the filmmaker is also kind of knowing that he's going to kind of make make you know direct this film make this film with with these people maybe they didn't know when they were making it that they'd make more with the same people but it's got that sense of you know once once everyone involved is long gone the film will stay if you know what I mean it has that sort of feeling about it like it has much more of an awareness of it's just kind of moment in time than a lot of movies do does that make sense yeah, yeah. I, I, it seems like because it was set in a day or, or in 24 hours for example it, it's easier to kind of look at it as a piece of work and and in you know some sort of weird form of art it would be done in one take and it would be like his his TV show idea where you follow someone around in their life for 24 hours. Yeah. Um, big brother type, I guess. Um, albeit this wasn't in Bournemouth, but this was in Vienna, which was a lot nicer. I think <laughs> when you watch them and, and follow them on this journey, they take from strangers to, to how they part at the end when she gets on the train and they haven't, the, the plans they make to see each other again they they're not concrete at all yes um you know that the most they get is six months from but is it six months from the day where is it six months from now you know that kind of thing so yes yeah even, even then it's very open to to be wrong i know and it's stressful isn't it? it's stressful to watch uh six months from now last night um uh, last night six months from okay. last night which was uh uh, June 16th, so uh, track nine, uh, six months from now at six o'clock at night. Dece December. December, yeah. Now listen, it's a train ride for you. I gotta fly all the way over here and shit like that, all right? But I'm gonna be here. <laughs> okay, me too. All right. One thing, though, that the, the way that we talk about him being cynical to a point, but, but thinking in a different realm to her, and she often comes across Selena as a, this kind of free-spirited, romantic type who mm. lives in the moment and yet she's the one who talks about media mind control yes um which is a very 2022 thing and god knows New form what sort of fascism of, she says that, yeah, yeah yeah and i mean <laughs> i'm sure that gets spouted on on twitter every day yeah. and yet you kind of think that would be him but this is how these things kind of like venn diagram kind of things you know and it, it's not people don't just sit in this box um, and it, of course, you know, people could think of it from all kinds of backgrounds and political spectrums or experiences or fields. But um, but to think like that is is quite interesting. 
and is very timely. Um, yes. You know, because they also talk about feminism as well. And, and, you know, is it a theory that men put in place and, and that kind of, you know, that I'm sure a date that goes on to the origins and the benefits and the pros and cons of feminism could quite easily go wrong if it takes a turn for the worse. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think she's an absolutely fantastic character and um, really refuses to be to be kind of put into any particular box as a character, which which you know, which is how how you write proper human people, isn't it? Because even that thing, as you say, she has that um, she has that bit about saying that she's paranoid that feminism was invented by men so they can fuck as much as they want, and you know, and the bit where she. You know, she talks very openly about how she doesn't doesn't know whether or not she can sleep with him because if they don't see each other again, then she'll wonder who he's with. You know, so she's very, she doesn't have sort of posturing about, around her own kind of feelings of vulnerability, which I think is, you know, is, is fantastic. But then she's also extremely open. You know, she says things like, I always feel um, like the general of an army when I start to date a guy and plotting my strategies, how to manipulate him and stuff, you know, and you know, it's incredibly open to be with um, someone that you just uh, met and um, would put so many people off. And again, you know, you think this is how you know that he's that he's actually sort of fallen quite hard for her quite quickly is that she's, she's really kind of quite frank. And she's also frank about how she got quite obsessed with a guy that you know finished with her and stuff you know she says so much of the stuff that um if it you know you'd be trying to kind of maybe sugarcoat a bit but because she's feeling intimate with this guy she's she's laying it all out and then she does worry about what he thinks of her as a result of laying it out and um I think it's just really good also because because um Julie Delphi is so so sort of beautiful in a very particular way I mean he he compares her to a Botticelli angel and she does have that that kind of um celestial feel about her where you know you feel that she in particular is someone that uh, the viewers will be projecting an awful lot onto in terms of her innocence and um you know her you know her goodness maybe and all of these things so i think it's just really fantastic when when you kind of get under the surface of her a little bit and you sort of see see some of her darker aspects and um yeah, it's it's they're both. I mean, I think they're both brilliantly rounded characters, aren't they? In that way. Yeah. Again, we we've talked before about how it's quite easy to get these things wrong, and the amount of work that goes into getting them to be just right, and the way that they feel human, because very few people are these either sort of one or the other, the angel or the devil. Yes, exactly. Um, everyone's got a sit somewhere in between and and again you know she, she's not a devil for thinking the media control people's minds i mean it's yeah, a point not. of view um yeah. and you know he's not a evil person because he distrusts palm readers <laughs> no completely no there, there's there's that and i think the fact that when you hear of of the lengths they went to to cast them and and the fact that they i think she in one of the, i read something in the new york times which makes me sound like a prick but I was playing Wordle and got lost and um, <laughs> they she talked about how it was then became I can't remember it wasn't the word strange but the fact that when they kissed it was she said it was like kissing a friend yeah um, because at that point by all the time they'd gone through all the the bits and the fact that the the actors were involved in a lot of the rewriting of the script to make it more suitable for them yes um, and again you know I'm, I know very little about this kind of thing but it's easy to read words on a page, but if they don't come, if they don't sound like they come from your mouth, then it's a waste of time. Yeah. So I guess if if they've gone to that effort and, and involved that much, where I think on did I read on the sequels that they were credited as writers, and they weren't on this one, and then yes, they ended up getting they wanted nominated to be for on an Oscar the, or something. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, that that's absolutely what happened. Okay. Um, mm. Which yeah, and I'm I'm sure their contributions were was significant but it's also it's a bit we talked about this when we did um the thin man didn't we where sometimes there's something about a script where you can tell that it's written by a man and a woman because it mm. has that um quality to it where the the perspectives that you know that are, are kind of e equal there's a real sort of equal footing between it doesn't um 
this doesn't you know like she has the she has that thing where they're talking about whether or not they're going to sleep together and she says i don't want to be some great story you know this american guy fucked a french girl you know just for one night and i just don't want to be that story and you do feel that all the way through the the movie don't you that she's that yeah this isn't the this isn't meant to be some kind of romantic narrative where she's going to kind of fit into this box of this um beautiful i mean even his thing of like let's not stay in touch because it's depressing is him kind of trying to do that to her a bit he's like saying no i want to remember this night as being kind of perfect and then i want to do it again i don't kind of want to deal with your you and your life in the interim you know what i mean Uh, Um, i don't want the baggage (laughs) no exactly i mean i know that's a bit of a cynical way of looking at his motivations but in some ways he is sort of rejecting that you know having to have the responsibility of like finding out how she is once she gets back and stuff which isn't great and we'll put that down to his youthful naivety i mean one one bit that i think is so funny between them is um where they've agreed that they're not going to see each other again and then they're deciding whether or not to sleep together and she says, I don't think we should sleep together if we're not going to see each other again. He says, let's see each other again. <laughs> <laughs> that made me think immediately of um, the the scene. Have you ever... God, it's a totally different film. Have you ever seen Team America, World Police? Oh, yeah, yeah. And And the bit where she says, oh, if I knew you wouldn't you might not die tomorrow I'd sleep with you right now and he said I promise I will never die just to get him (laughs) just makes this completely unbelievable thing just to get him to bed I was like we, we should see each other please 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 I really like you there's no chance we can ever be together only if you could promise me you'll never die you know I can't promise that If you did that, I would make love to you right now. I promise I will never die. Oh, that's very funny. Oh, speaking of which, oh, I was going to point out as well that she, um, when she's looking at the painting of the people dissolving, and she's, you know, which again, you could sort of like connect to the thing of time just like falling through your fingers like sand or whatever. It's, um... That's a Seurat painting, which is the same painter that um, they use in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when they go to when they go to the gallery. Do you remember? I do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. um, If you want young people having existential crises, that's the painter you use. Like when people when people watch Before Sunrise in the same way that we watch The Graduate, for instance, how, what do you think it'll give off about that about the Gen X mindset? Um, I think they're probably that they're not necessarily rebelling in yeah. perhaps that the youth of the Graduate era were or or were at some stage of doing. Um, whereas here they seem to be a bit more carefree and. Maybe that journey, they'd already gone down enough of that road where, you know, traveling was more accessible, um, especially in mainland Europe, for example. But, um, I mean, it threw me that they they weren't using the euro. That was weird. Yes. But, um, yeah. So weird things to get hit up about. But um, I, I think the the way that they were able to to have the kind of time that they did because they were a little bit older they they weren't confined by parents or you know the only thing really the only ticking clock was the plane that he had to get yes so i think they they just had a bit more a lot more freedom um and society was probably would have frowned on her immediately in an earlier time for going off with a random man and lying in a park in various stages of undress and uh, effectively stealing wine from bars. Yeah, it's a bit like what happens in It Happened One Night, except they've got carrots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And what was, the, what was the incentive at the end? Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a, a lovely departure from my, my usual fare. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm very glad. I mean, I think that... Um, she she says that thing about feeling the pressure of being you know to be a strong independent icon of womanhood but um but that she wants to be loved and it's really important to her but she feels kind of ashamed of how much she cares about that and i thought you know that's quite a 
I'd say that that in terms of people that were born, you know, in this in the seventies and eighties, that that might be something that kind of preys on you a little bit. You you kind of feel the pressure as a woman perhaps to be entirely liberated from all of these things that some people might consider conservative or that you're just kind of, you know, showing in inverted commas weakness if you if you're not caring. Um, enough about your career and you're caring about whether or not he's called you back and um and it's quite it's quite nice that there's there's the two of them sort of touch on that in different ways don't they about kind of like how how they're they're kind of falling for each other and and emotional aspects mean something to them but then he also has the thing of saying that if he's honest with himself he wants to feel as if he's contributed something to the world and excelled at something rather than just had a nice relationship so you can the two of them seem to be quite conflicted about those things don't they i'd be curious to see do they become one of those couples that argue on a train do they become an old couple who who argue a lot or you know because it'd be quite weird and, and a bit dull if they're the same people but 10 and 20 years down the road be interesting to see how they've grown as people apart as well as together um, I think that's probably, in in some cases, that's probably quite as important as who do they become on their own and not just as part of a pair. Because depending, I, I guess, on what the time dif- difference is between films one and two and, and, and at what points do they reconnect, you know, do, do they go off and be, inverted commas, successful or not in their careers? Or do they go off and get married and suddenly realised they they were still the one I don't know um, oh I'm excited for you to see the next one Rich oh god I'm excited too there's a wind that blows in from the north and it says that loving takes this course come here come Well, as we rush to catch the next train and struggle to recall the name of the bar we promised to send money to, we leave you with the thought that everything is finite. But don't you think that's what makes our time listening to podcasts at specific moments so important? I've been Kat. I've been Rich. And this has been Don't You Want Me.